It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Ron Defineman is up next. Good morning and welcome to Healthy Options. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today is Elaine Miller-Karras, the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute. She's a licensed clinical social worker and an adjunct faculty member at Loma Linda University School of Social Work and Social Ecology. Elaine Miller-Karras has orchestrated international relief projects, including the Philippine Typhoon Relief Project, the Haiti Earthquake Relief Project, the Guatemala Project, the African Relief Project, and the Chinese Earthquake Relief Project. Her work in Africa includes training the Kenyan the Kenyan Association of Professional Counselors and the 2007 Conference to End Female Genital Mutilation. She co-authored the Trauma and Community Resiliency Model Workbook and has also um, written a chapter in the book To the Rescue, Stories of Healthcare Workers at the Scenes of Disaster. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit agency which provides training worldwide and it brings about more effective treatment for long-term and acute trauma. We had the pleasure of speaking with Elaine Melikaris on Healthy Options a few years ago, and on today's show, we'd like to explore the new ways in which the trauma resiliency model is being used successfully in communities across the world. Welcome back to Healthy Options, Elaine Melikaris. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Rhonda. That's so great that you that you are. You know, we we did uh, touch some of uh, these topics in the past, and I wanted to perhaps you can help us with a brief overview of what the trauma resiliency model is. And I know there are many exciting ways that this is being used uh, today in in the world. Um, but perhaps we can do a, do a little bit of a um, review, as it were. Okay, and you know, and I'd like to share you know development since I I spoke to you last. Absolutely. We have, the, we have two resiliency models. One is called the trauma resiliency model, which the way that we have it designed at this moment is more for mental health professionals. But the one that I'm incredibly excited about is called the community resiliency model, which contains the set of six wellness skills that have come from the trauma resiliency model. So to make it easier as we're talking today, I'll call trauma resiliency model TRIM and community resiliency model CRIM. <laughs> so yeah, trim and crim. Okay, and we'll we'll constantly with all our new listeners who come in every fifteen minutes, we'll just review that again. Yeah. Okay, great. So, in any event, um, the both models reset the natural balance of the nervous system. So, when we are under great stress or if we have traumatic events, um, instead of feeling like our best self, being in what we call our resilient zone we can get knocked out of our resilient zone and get stuck into what we call the high zone. I'm sure many people know what this is like. I certainly have been there myself sometimes, is that you're irritable, edgy. Um, you're, you're maybe reacting in a way and saying things that you would never say if you were in your resilient zone. But unfortunately, when some people have had a lot of trauma, or for some even a single event trauma, if it's serious enough, they can get stuck in that high zone. But then conversely, there's something that we call the low zone, and that's being disconnected, depressed, not feeling like yourself, fatigued, you know, just wanting to avoid people, being by yourself, and that's being stuck in the low zone. And for some of us, we can go between at times being stuck in the high zone and other times in the low zone. 
And so what the, the, the skills of, the, of Trim and Crim do is to, number one, is help an individual learn the wellness skills for self-care when learning the Crim model. And then um, if you're working with a therapist who knows about the Trim model, the, um, the therapist will help you reprocess the traumatic event or events of your life so that your nervous system can, can come back into balance and then you're not as triggered by the multi-sensory experience that can accompany trauma. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. So let's, let's again, do, do a little bit of an example of, of what, does, what does that mean? How, I, I understand that you're, the, the point of view, I guess, the, the community uh, resource model is that, and I, also the, the trauma resiliency model, is that anybody can learn this. This is definitely something. Well, right. Anybody can learn the skills of the community resiliency model, and that's the exciting part of that. We had a large project that was funded by the state of California that ended in December of 2013, and it was called um, an innovation project. Um, it was one of the largest counties of California called San Bernardino County. And what we wanted to try to find out, could we train community members from diverse populations um, and also across lifespans to learn the community resiliency model um, skills to bring their nervous system back into balance? And the county had targeted for us uh, seven underserved groups, African Americans, Latinos, Asian Pacific Islanders, gay, lesbian, transgender questioning, um, high-risk youth, veterans, and Native Americans. And so we were able to um, have cohorts for most of the groups where we trained um, individuals from their communities in the community resiliency model. And we were fortunate enough to also do some preliminary research, and we did pre- and post-tests and three-month uh, to six-month follow-ups. And what we found was there were statistically significant reductions in depression, anxiety, hostility indicators and somatic symptoms. And what that means, uh, you know, kind of translating it is, we taught um, individuals how to use these very simple skills to come back into the, their nervous system to the, to the resiliency zone. And the way we do that, and this is the crux of both models, is helping people discern the difference between sensations that are connected to distress and sensations connected to well-being, our resiliency. And I often call it, you know, our nervous system is an elegant design. And even though it can get bumped out and stuck, it also has the ability to get back in. So I, I often like to use the metaphor of um, if you water the weeds in your garden, what happens with the weeds, Rhonda? Do they spread? <laughs> Absolutely. But if you water the flowers in your garden, they're going to they're gonna expand. That doesn't mean there might be a few weeds in there every now and then. And so when we learn to pay attention, to be aware of, the sensations of well-being within our nervous system, and that's learning about the autonomic nervous system, which I know is kind of a big word, but it's essentially learning about the accelerator and the brake of the nervous system. And what we've learned is that children can learn this, um, elders can learn this, the seniors, and um, really from cradle to grave, because even a parent, even though a child um, doesn't have the cognitive ability to be, when we ask them, well, what are you noticing on the inside, which is one of our key words, the parent can learn to stabilize his or her own nervous system, and then that, in, in, um, in effect, also helps the baby stabilize uh, his or her nervous system. So let's do a little bit of specifics. What would be a sensation? How would one identify a sensation of resiliency versus uh, an activated 
state? Well, you know, this is a, this is a very simple um, strength-based um, skill that we call resourcing. And we often start out that way. And, you know, and sometimes some of us do this, you know, just to, um, naturally. And that is to call to mind something that gives you strength, courage, or a person, place, or thing that gives you joy or calm um, or peaceful sensations. And so we'd ask someone, like I'd ask you right now, Rhonda, if that would be okay, is there a place that you can, a place, person, thing that you can tell me about that gives you joy or pleasure or calm? Yes. Do you want me to tell tell me about one of them? Oh, yeah, tell me about one of them. Okay. Um, Well, I was just in Cape Breton, so I'm going to be on a beach in Mabu. Hello, my friends, if you're tuning in. We're all there together. beautiful sun and these mountains and then it's a very warm water and sand and beautiful um some beautiful rocks and the is there, are there any smells that go waves, along with yes a, a, a very vibrant healthy salt sensation smell of of the sea of uh of the grass. Oh, you're giving me such a wonderful um, description, and the description is important. We call that resource intensification. Well, so, I'm... as you're telling me all these images that are coming to mind about this place, what are you aware of inside of your body? For example, what do you notice about your breathing and your heart rate? Mm, Slow down. My Slowed belly down. feels very relaxed. Uh huh. Feel you so know there you... that sensation of loose or no tension. Well, and is that a pleasant sensation? Y- yes, it is. As yeah. a matter of fact, so I'm going to go to sleep now. <laughs> someone else will have to take over for the interview. Okay, someone else is going to take over. That's it. But so I'm, that that's good. Something, yes. and, and, are you, and are you at that beach right now, or are you in an office someplace in Maine? Uh, well, um, I'm really at that beach, even though I'm in a radio station here in Oh, so you're in a radio station, but you can't actually see the beach. No question. No yeah, question. so basically that's the elegant design of the way that we're designed. So just by calling to mind, even though you can't see it, all the multisensory experiences of that, of that pleasant, wonderful beach come to mind. And as it does, your nervous system reacts as if you're, if you're looking at the beach and being in that place. And that's what we've seen across the world, that most people, I'd say 99% of the people I've asked that question to, can name a resource and tell me about something that gives them pleasure or joy. Or, or makes them feel peaceful on the inside. So, um, so when you pay attention to that, and if by intention that you pay attention to that, that expands. But those of us who've had trauma, myself included, there have been times in my life that the only thing I could pay attention to was maybe the pain or the, or the distress of sensations like tightness in the chest or um, the uh, stomach um, tightening or not feeling right or maybe lots of people have neck neck uh, neck pain. I know that you know a lot about mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, so that if that's what they focus on, that's the beating drum. Then does that get better or does that expand? My my right. experience is that it just kind of it, it expands. So if we can draw our attention to even a small place in the body, for example, that feels better, or bring to mind a resource and bring that um, awareness to mind, that that helps to bring a person back into their resilient zone and make them feel better in mind, body, and spirit. And we've now seen this, the exciting thing about the San Bernardino Project, you can see we we dealt with many cultures, 83% of the people in the San Bernardino Project were um, of different ethnic backgrounds. They were non-white. And so 
and we've also seen this with, with working with um, with individuals of, of um, white heritage as, as well. So to think that this works across cultures, across ethnicities, across um, ages, and as we've worked in international settings, it's very naturalistic. We were just in the we were in the Philippines for five weeks this year mm-hmm. um, after Typhoon Yolanda. And one of the largest compliments I've, we've, I've ever received in working in the field was one of our, our, our community resiliency model skills trainers that we had just spent four days with training how to teach others in, in the skills came up to me and said, Elaine, I was working with this woman, and you know what she said to me? She said, thank you so much for, um, for reminding me what I already knew but had forgotten. There you go. And that, to me, was bingo, right? That's like, that's exciting. And that's where, if we pay attention to those sensations of well-being, and if we're reminded to, once we have been knocked out of the, of the resilient zone into the low zone or high zone, our nervous system has an amazing capacity to come back. But the other is another part to it as well, because we've worked a lot with veterans um, in different places around the country. Like, for example, next week I'm going to be going to San Diego to the Naval Center and um, with a, a conference sponsored by Walter Reed Medical Center, I'm going to be presenting the community resiliency model um, Super. to the participants that come from around the country, along with Lois Clinton, who is a social worker um, at Walter Reed. So what we, we have discovered working with veterans and active duty service members, that they may get triggered. Like, you know, for example, for many people who've been, in, let's say, an Iraq veteran, if they were an explosion, an IED explosion, if they go to the, you know, just do something normal like um, having to get gas in their car. And when they smell gasoline, that's a, a trigger, a somatic trigger that can make us feel like in an instant that we're back in the war zone yeah. and we're threatened. So then our nervous system starts to, you know, to speed up. Maybe our heart rate gets, goes really fast and we feel fear. We go, oh, my gosh, I'm just at the gas station. But if that happens, you know, think about how many times we have to fill up our car. So what we've seen and what um, veterans and active duty service members have shared with us is that when you start paying attention to the nervous system, you can catch it in the beginning. So when the nervous system starts to, to, you know, say accelerate and go into sensations of distress in the here and now, even though you're not in danger, you can intersect what some people call the hijacking of the nervous system, bring to mind one of your resources or a place in the body that feels better or bring your, your attention to your body in the present moment, which is called grounding, and you can come back to the present moment. Nervous system settles, just like you took a deeper breath. Then the person is back here and able to think clearly and you know manage their, the, the situations in their life in a different way. So that um, growing knowledge of tracking the nervous system, which is the first and fundamental skill of the model, is very important. So... You're asking, uh, now that's out in the world, someone who's already experienced uh, the model has been, has been taught in a therapeutic situation, and whether that's in the community model or in uh, somebody's office somewhere, in, um, what, what happens with someone in trauma? So we're doing the resourcing and we're doing the grounding. How, how does then this model actually deal with the sensations of, of whatever that triggering event is or whatever the initial right event so was. The, the, in um our in, our in our trauma resiliency model the um the therapist would first um give education like i'm doing right now about the model and the nervous system because one of the pr- 
primary things that we also want to get across to people is that they had extraordinary events happen to them, but their nervous system is actually reacting in a very common way because we want to move them out of the paradigm that they're pathological or mentally weak, but rather um, there was a, there's a biology of trauma that happened to them. Right. And just giving them that education can be very helpful. So that's the primary thing. And then the second thing would be teaching um, and sharing the wellness skills. Because the more that a person practices, just like anything like exercising a muscle, um, the better they get at stabilizing their own ner- nervous system when they're out of session. And once the therapist is assured that the person can self-regulate, then we start working with the story of the trauma. But we also ask the trauma, the trauma story in a different way. Um, because one of the things that often happens in therapy, and this may be controversial for some of the listeners, is that we have found that not everybody wants to tell their trauma story, right. nor is it necessarily helpful for everyone to tell their trauma story. Right. Re-stimulating. And for some people, just, yeah, work it can be very stimulating. And for some, it's re-traumatizing. So we might say, well, as you're even bringing to mind this situation that happened to you, what do you notice happening inside of your body? Because the body tells the whole story. And as we do that, the individual um, starts becoming attuned to that. Maybe they're noticing their heart rate come back up, and it's distressing to them. So instead of letting that continue, which I might have done when I, before I knew a model like this, I'd say, I wonder if we could just pause. We call it a resiliency pause for just a moment and, um, and come back to that beautiful beach and the smells of the, of the seawater, and all of a sudden you see the nervous system coming back into balance. Now, we would continue that progression until the telling of the story becomes different so that it now has kind of almost a new, um, a new body sense that goes along with the telling of the story so that it dampens the um, reactivity of the triggers. And so then it may not be, like people often say to me, I don't feel like that event now is on my lap. I feel like it's behind me. Because the nervous system, as, we, as, as the story is told in a different way, um, reorganizes itself. Because every time you tell a story, it changes the, the body sense of it, as well as sometimes the narrative sense of it. But there's another key component that's really important. And that is, I, I often start out by asking, can you tell me the moment that you knew you had survived? Or can you tell me who helped you get through it? Uh. Or who is helping you the most right now? That's like going to the part of the story where you're watering the flowers. Right. Because people will say the most amazing thing. Oh, I remember that person who pulled me out and held my hand. Um, or I remember, like, I'll tell you a story of the, real quickly of the story of the Philippines. Um, when we were working there, what our goal with the community resiliency model is to train trainers in their own country and their own language. So we have a five-day training program that we train. So by the fourth day, people are training others in the model. Mm. Um, it's been working really well. We're doing research on it, as I said before, and it's, we're really finding it to be effective. But um, this one woman in the Philippines, um, she um, started wanting to tell the trauma story. And I said, well, before you go on, would you mind, if, you know, in a very respectful way, if we just stop for just a second and you tell me um, how you got through the, the typhoon and when you knew you had survived it. So she said first, she goes, oh, I was a room with, in a room with nine other people. She said the wind was so strong and we were holding hands. And she goes, I can still remember as I'm, as I'm, as I'm talking to you right now, holding their hands. And I mm-hmm. said, well, ooh, can we pause for a second? 
and you just notice what it's like to remember that even though you didn't know what was happening, but holding the other's hand, she goes, oh, and we were praying. And I said, do you remember the prayer? And she said, yes. And I could just see her, just like you did, take a deep breath, and her nervous system relaxed. Oh. And then, and then it, was, it was very beautiful. And she said to me, um, you know, I, when I came into this training, I was a trauma victim, and now I'm a trauma survivor. Yes. Because now I've rewritten the story, and I'm focusing on my survival rather than the horror of what happened. Mm. And that's about going forward. And that doesn't mean that we dismiss if she wanted to talk about very difficult things about the trauma, but it's the way that we hold the space for the person and also remember that the nervous system can regulate if it's getting too um, amped up or, you know, too like mm. excited, as you said. However, there's another part of the trauma resiliency uh, model. Elaine, let, that, me, let um, me just do yeah. it. I, I, hold on for a moment. I just want to do it really yeah. quick for people who just turned, turned sure. in. Um, you are listening. This is Rhonda Feynman. I'm, I'm your host of Healthy Options today, and we are speaking with Elaine Miller-Karras, the executive director, co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute, and uh, that is um, a, a way that uh, an organization that provides training worldwide to bring about more effective treatment for long-term and acute trauma through the trauma resiliency model and the community resiliency model, which is a culturally based trauma resiliency training. Thanks, Elaine. I continue if you, if we can pick that up. Yes. Well, there, and there's another part of the trauma resiliency model, and I have to say there's many what we call you know somatic based models, but I call them biological based models about the biology of the body. Um, other models besides the trauma resiliency model are, for for, for example, Peter Levine's yes. somatic experiencing that did very much inspire my work. Sure. Uh, Pat Ogden's sensory motor psychotherapy is is another model. Um, the Beth Rothschild somatic psychology. So there's a number of people working within the United States and in other parts of the world knowing about the importance of these biological somatic-based models. But one of the parts of it, that as the person um, knows how to regulate, let's say that once they tell me the survival part, then I'll go, well, what part of the story do you want to go back to? And there's an energy about what we call um, survival responses that are really natural. Like if you were to rock veteran, you may have wanted to run like hell, but you didn't because your buddies were right there and you had to protect them. But that doesn't mean that your body didn't want to do that, but you overrode it. So sometimes, so what we believe is that the um, survival responses that were blocked end up getting stuck in the nervous system. And that's what leads to the system the symptoms of getting stuck in high so, in the low zone. So that's the freeze, so some, the freeze yeah, part. Yeah, so that's our freeze response, right? right? There's also something else that um, that I've added to um, our model since, since you've taken the training, which is Shelley Taylor's work from UCLA, and that's called tending and befriending. And that's something that most wi- many women will do when they're first threatened. Um, and I've worked a lot with, for example, the uh, UCLA Rape Crisis Center, and they often tell me that sometimes the first response from men or a woman being, you know, uh, threatened with rape is to try to befriend the, the rapist oh, right. so maybe they can get away. There's actually what they're finding is there's a physiological reason for that because when you are using tending and befriending strategi- strategies, it actually releases a hormone called oxytocin that can actually counterbalance the effects of adrenaline, not only in the potential victim but in the person who's the pursuer Mm. so that may be the first 
survival response that many women, some men use that too, but many women use first. And then there's the fight response and flight response, which we're most familiar with. And then if it's an inescapable attack, you may go into the freeze response. So um, there's three of the skills of the trauma resiliency model are about completing the survival responses that were blocked. Mm. And that can be very profound um, for resetting the nervous system and for the body to know that whatever happened to you is over. Because you can have all the insight in the world about what happened to me wasn't my fault, you know, I didn't run away, I stayed, but it was terrible, but it doesn't change the nervous system. So that's why the portal of the body is really important for us to work with when we're working with trauma, which also, um, you know, I don't know if this is a good time to talk about it. I wanted to talk a little bit about the ACEs study. Sure. Um, Yeah, so the ACEs study is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And it's, it's, and there's um, a new website called acesconnection.com that I really recommend that people go to and learn about it. Is that A, but, S as in Sam, I-S? A-C as in cat. Ah. Like an ace of cards. Oh. So, yes, and this was, this A study is, we've been talking about it in, in our, in try for, since we first started. And. And it's so exciting now because I used to ask the question, have you ever heard of the ACE study? And no one would raise their hand. I was just up in the state of Idaho. I asked that question. Everybody raised their hand. So depending on which state you live in, there are public health efforts being launched about the adverse childhood um, experiences study. But essentially what it is is in um, uh, Kaiser Permanente, which is a big healthcare system we have in many states, but in California, over 17,000 individuals have been studied. And what they have learned that there's a strong link between adverse childhood experiences and adult onset of chronic illnesses and other adverse behaviors. So basically, there are there, there's three categories that they ask whether a person has ever had this. It doesn't matter. It could be once or many times when they ask the question, "Have you ever? Were you abused as a child, either physically, emotionally, or sexually? Were you neg- neglected, either physically or emotionally?" And was there household dysfunction? Five categories. Did your family member, your caregiver have a mental illness? Were they in, did you have an incarcerated relative? Um, did your, uh, was your mother treated violently? Um, was there substance abuse in the family or were your parents divorced? So what they found, which is amazing, is that if you had an ACE score of four or more, you had significantly higher rates of heart disease and diabetes than those with an ACE score of zero. Mm. Chronic pulmonary lung disease increased 390%, hepatitis 240%, suicide attempts 1,220% increase. Depression 460%. But listen to this. Those with an ACE score of six or more had a (laughs) 4,600% increase in the likelihood of becoming an IV drug user. Oh, my. And, And then... Finally, and let me just finish the last point, and then I'll say well, you know, what they're discovering. People with six or more ACEs died nearly 20 years earlier on average than those without ACEs. So 60.6 years versus 79.1 years. So, you know, so what, you know, so what this, this study is showing is the, how we're treated as children and what happens to those who care for us have a great implication, uh, implications for our physical and psychological health. And so this is one of the other reasons why we believe and try how important it is to work um, about helping individuals stabilize their nervous system. 
this is a physical thing that ha- is happening inside the body that changes the health of, of children and then adults. And if, we, if children can learn when they're little to stabilize their nervous system, and if parents can learn how to stabilize their own nervous system to not repeat the harm that was often caused to them, then we may have some great success in changing what happens not only to the physical health, but to the psychological health of entire communities. So we have projects going right now where, for example, in Asheville, North Carolina, they've just trained um, 25 community resiliency model skills trainers. And there's now quite a few people. We have 25 trainers there now. So they're they're going out in the community and sharing these skills to others and really thinking about infiltrating in schools and all different places, similar (laughs) to what we've done in San Bernardino County. Because in San Bernardino County, even though we were an innovation project, this county of San Bernardino, after looking at our research and also um, having stakeholder meetings last summer, they've decided to integrate the community resiliency model as a program that is going to be offered by peers in the outpatient mental health uh, clinic. So uh, that's what I was so going very, to... very excited about that. Yes, that's incredible. I was going to ask where the, uh, the people part of the study came from. Uh, so you're mentioning mental oh, yes. health. Was I mean, this it's a really, it's, self, yeah, self-referred or... Uh, well, it's a very, the study, um, uh, well, there's many things I've read about the study, but it ba- basically it was um, started by a Dr. Faletti, and he, uh, I believe, is an endocrinologist, and he ran an obesity clinic, and he was trying to figure out why people were gaining weight back and why people would drop out. And so he started asking questions, and he was, you know, as an endocrinologist, was shocked by what he discovered. It was like, how much did you weigh when you were, uh, became sexually active? And so many of the people said, oh, I was 40 pounds, 35 pounds. Oh, my goodness. And so, well, the horror of, of figuring out that they had been sexually abused children. children. And so that started out a whole other um, um, kind of inquiry as, you know, is this kind of anomaly or what, what is this? So then the whole Kaiser system got behind this. And now the ACES project is a joint project with the Centers for Disease Control. And there's lots of information. If you go to the CDC site, you can find out information about ACEs and find out what, you know, I know that this um, radio program goes to many areas. You can find out if your state has a response or your community, because many um, states now are, are, are starting. And well, as I said, this ACEs connection is one way to find out what your community may be starting give, to do about it. Can you give me that website? I will, I'll use it as a link, but in case people want to look before it gets on the archives. This all will be archived, so we can use it. Okay, it's, it's acesconnection.com, A-C-E-S, connection.com. Okay. We'll be sure to aces aces connection dot com. We'll be sure to have that as part of the link on the on the Great. archives. Important for all of us to know about because I think that you know certainly our model is one. I always think you need to have menu options for people, right? <laughs> and there are different kinds of things that help people you know stabilize their nervous system. And certainly our model is one. But there's other things that help people, you know, stabilize their nervous system as well. Sure, and think people will find what what works in, in and resonates in their own in their own biology, right. as it were. Right. But um, I want to, you. I know that in the community um, resiliency p- model that 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 you're uh, doing and and the Trauma Resource Institute is is working with now that you're talking about culturally diverse diversity and ways to bring this to different populations. And while we all have 
as you're pointing out, we this is our nervous system. It's our human nervous system. What are you learning about how to go into different communities? What what needs to change in terms of the learning to to make well, this relevant? Well, I guess number one, I you know we are very respectful when we go into different communities internationally because people have their own ways of establishing their resiliency. And what I've learned, as much as our Western-based models are very important in terms of how they've been designed for Westerners, for some cultures, um, they, that, they wouldn't work very well because they're, they're more communal in nature. And I think that's one of the things we've learned. But I also, um, what we've learned is that we all have a nervous system that reacts in the same way after trauma, whether we live in Haiti or China or Africa or in Maine or in California. Um, but we may have different, a different paradigm or vista of why we think we got the symptoms that are causing us suffering. Uh. So, for example, someone may believe that a spirit of the of the persons that died during the typhoon, for example, have invaded their body, and that's causing their their right. physical distress. And so we, you know, for as far as I'm concerned, I, you know, I we're not there in Could our be. trauma resource institute to change people's beliefs about why they have symptoms, but we're there that even if that's what they believe is true. How could we bring their nervous system back into balance? And so then we say, well, what does, what is it, you know, that makes that brings you joy? Just like I asked you, or can um, you tell me about something that in your culture that you do to to bring happiness or joy or peace back into your spirit? Many people have you know different kinds of movements, singing, dancing, and we often start out with asking them to share a song or dance with us that brings brings them joy or peace. And that's a wonderful way we found to start connecting to a culture and learning about it. And we share things too. Like I mean, I'm people who know me know that I love the hokey pokey, and I've done it all over the world. <laughs> and I found that most people like to do the hokey pokey too. <laughs> oh, it's my, my contribution that's to, it. to the world. International peace through the hokey places. pokey. We're speaking with Elaine Millicaras, the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute. I'm Rhonda Feynman, your host today on Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. Now, I do wanted to have the hokey pokey break. I thought that that was a good oh, moment. Okay. Yes. So everyone up. No sitting down, even if Take you're driving. Pull over. Break. All right. That's okay. Great. I think we did it. Okay. <laughs> so that's well, great. You know. You know, and you know, and the humor and laughter. I mean, you know, I, I often recall, re, you know, there's one story that I just love about working in Haiti, where we asked that question. We had, you know, traveled, you know, many hours to get to this spot where people were waiting for us to come. We were told we were going to share our skills with 15 people, and there were like 150 people who'd wow. waited under this hot corrugated roof for hours for us to get there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I asked the question if they would like to share a song with us, and I don't speak Creole, but a woman kind of came came up to the front, and she said, I'll, I'll do it, and, I, and we, I knew the story. I mean, I knew the song. I think many of your listeners will, and she was singing it in Creole, and I couldn't believe that was the song that she did, and this is the song, la, 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 if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Right. What an amazing thing. She had the 150 people, you know, up in the air, clapping their hands and singing the song, and we taught them the skills after that. The nun who ran the um, camp came up to me. She goes, this is the first time since the earthquake that I have felt joy again. And I think sometimes it's bump-starting bump starting, um, yourself back into your resilience zone and figuring out how to do it. And, and you know, I often call myself an ambassador of hope. 
because I've seen even in these horrible situations that happen that people are designed to be hopeful and to go forward, even sometimes when they've lost their entire family. Mm. Um, they'll be out in the forefront helping their neighbors, rebuilding when these kinds of things have happened. So it's humbling to do the work that we do. And also um, um, we help we help people see that they can um, get back into their resilience zone by some very specific wellness skills, but also like the lady in the Philippines said, reminding them what they already know, that sometimes they have forgotten after they've had such a terrible thing happen to them. Um, two of the things that just have happened recently um, is, oh, I think the other thing I wanted to say was that we um, translate our materials into, into, into their language. And we often do a first go of a translation, and then once we are there, people there say, oh, no, no, that's not right. You, you know, whoever translated didn't translate this right. There's a difference between translating words and tra- translating the essence of a model. And so oftentimes our translations get to be, you know, are redone. Or recently in the Philippines, people told me that, oh, everybody speaks English. You don't need to have any other language. And when I got there, that really, I found that wasn't true. That wasn't true. So we ended up translating our materials into Tagalog, Waray, Iligano, and um, Cebuano. Because in the areas, there's 171 dialects in the Philippines. Right. And so we find that to be very important in how we bring these materials forward. And what's exciting, the Philippines, um, the people that we trained as trainers there have decided to create a, um, a nonprofit in the Philippines to spread the community resiliency model skills. That was a big compliment to us. Wow. It's called the Philippines, it's called PhilActs, um, Philippine um, Community Resiliency Model Trainers. But they have that little cute acronym. And, in fact, I'll be having a conference call with them um, later today about how they're going forward with bringing the skills to a wider uh, community. Because in the Philippines, you know, they, they had like 20 typhoons last year. And with climate change, I think another important thing that we all have to be thinking about is how can we bring wellness skills to help communities who are impacted by climate change? Because I'm not only interested in bringing the community resiliency model into places after a big traumatic event, but how can we look at this and bringing these wellness skills preventively? So, for example, whatever your community is, that if there is an event, people are already trained, and the sooner that they can help people come back to their resilience zone, the sooner people can get back into rebuilding their communities. Let me ask you, um, go back a little bit. We talked um, about some of the the biological, the physiological aspects that happen after a, a traumatic event and you were talking about the incomplete release and we talked about that as free oh incomplete survival um, responses right so you know the the soldier who wants to run but can't or somebody right. who wants to open the door to get out of a car but can't or whatever right. or wants to leave the you know, how does this model how how would you get to how does that body how does the body release what happens? <laughs> well, the body again. It's the body's ama- designed in an amazing way. So let's say the person, um, you know, let, let's use the car ac- car accident for an example. Um, that they were in a car accident and they wanted to get away, um, get out of the car, but they couldn't because the cars were going very fast by them. So what you would do then is you would create in the present moment. Well. Um, what would have assisted you in getting out of the car if you could have? But also they have to have an energy that is similar to the energy that would have been existing at the time when they couldn't get away. 
which is very easy for a person to call up, just like you called up the place at the beach. You can also call up experiences that were distressful. But we work with that distress in a different way. So let's say a person goes, oh, I would wanted to open the door and run across to the, to the meadow, but I couldn't because the cars were so fast. So in the present moment, you can change that. So you can say, well, what would have helped you? Oh, well, if I would have had um, some kind of like a magic bubble, I would have put myself in the magic bubble and floated over to the meadow. Well, <laughs> even though that didn't really happen, you can say, well, can you see that, that, that magic bubble and can you see yourself in it? And what happens to you as you slowly see you um, be able to get over to the meadow? So you'll see the nervous system start to release, and you'll see um, a deep breath. And as they get to the meadow, there is relief. So that's, that would be one way. Okay. Another way would be, well, the, the, the car came at me too fast. Well, if you would have had time, what would you have done? I would have turned the wheel to the right, and then the car would have just passed me. Well, can you see yourself in the present moment in your mind's eye? turning the car in just exactly the way that you would have wanted to do it. And as they do that in the present moment, their body senses the release as if they had done it. And the release can be, you'll see the deep breath come in. Sometimes you'll see sensations of trembling where the body starts to shake and we go, you know, notice the shaking and allow the body to shake to, re to let it do now what it couldn't do or what right. the person may have overridden um, at the time that it happened. Um, since the release sensations can include heat, trembling, burping, um, there's a whole array of different sensations that people can experience as the nervous system comes back into balance. And some of your listeners, I imagine, know about these kinds of release sensations because if you've been in a situation where there was a lot of tra a trauma and your body afterwards started to shake, you thought, oh my goodness, what's happening to me? Right. And we know that's the body's natural way right. of, uh, of coming back into balance. Um, Peter Levine um, really yes. um, speaks brilliantly about this because he was an animal biologist, and he noticed that when animals were traumatized in the wild, that they 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 let that shaking happen, and as they shook and that they were able to get up and then go about their business to until the next trauma happened. <laughs> but with human beings, because of our wonderful cognitions, we say, "Oh, I have to stop that stop that that shaking because people think I'm crazy." And so we're saying, oh, no, that's your nervous system doing oh. what it naturally needs to Go do for it. to release and reset. Exactly. <laughs> and so people are often um, surprised at when they start noticing that how much better. And people often they feel on the inside, in mind, body, and spirit, and they'll even say, it's like I feel like something left me. That you know, And, of right. course, their nervous system is releasing. And sometimes... Is, um, yeah. is, is, is one of the goals of the trauma resiliency model and, and many of the other biological-based models that I mentioned earlier. Right. And then also the, the body movement of opening the door, a, you know, that kind of thing. I've, right. I've noticed right. legs kicking or feet moving very <laughs> right. slowly. We pay, we pay attention to the body. And also sometimes we'll say, well, what, you know, what would you have wanted to do? Well, I would have got, wanted to get up and I would have wanted to run. And so sometimes I say, well, do you want to do that now? Well, I don't want to really do that now, but can, I, you know, can you do it in your mind's eye and your imagination? And what's amazing about, again, the elegant design of the human being is that you can imagine something in your head um, happening, and then your body can sense the release as if you really would have got, escaped whatever happened to you. And people say, well, Lane, how does that really work? Because I really was, let's say, assaulted. And I said, well, you really were assaulted, but you didn't get, a, get, get to get away. So we can, in the present moment, change it. 
because we're working with different kinds of memory. There's two kinds of memory. Um, one's called external, um, I mean explicit memory, and the other one's called implicit memory. And ex- ex- um, explicit memory is like facts, like you remember what you did yesterday or what you ate for breakfast. Um, and implicit memory is what we call procedural memory. It's body memory. And it has no time or space. That's the horror of trauma, right? Mm. You can have a trigger and feel like it's happening in the present moment. And so we actually can use that implicit memory system to recreate the experience in the present moment by paying attention to the body sensations and reworking in the present moment what your body would have wanted to have done but couldn't do. And so as you do that in the present moment, the body resets itself, and the body has the experience as if you really did get away when maybe in actuality you didn't. But it changes the present moment, so then you no longer have to be um, uh, really traumatized by all the multisensory experiences that may have been associated with your traumatic event. And that changes people's lives because then they can go to the grocery store. Then they can go out in public. They can do the things that sometimes they start avoiding because their body is in a state of fear because there's all these multisensory triggers that um, come into the present moment that knock them out of the present moment. So, I mean, that's the the real hope. And that's why any of your listeners that have had trauma, you know, find yourself a a biologically based... um, um, therapist, because there's many of us in different modalities. Um, you can certainly call our Trauma Re- um, uh, Resource Institute office, and we have a listing that my secretary has that can give you um, people who have been trained in our model, and then she can give you information that people who are trained in other models, because we're not in every part of the, the country at this point. So do you have a phone number? And, and I'll put that again. Uh, yes, yes. Our, our phone number is 909 six. And we'll have that on the website as well. And I I like the idea of calling, you know, because, again, I think that there's something that happens uh, as we're talking when you're having a conversation about getting the help. I, I think already that's that can help the nervous system. Yeah, I, right, and and I, and, I, and I think it's really important for people to know that there is hope. Yes. Um, you know, when we learn about this um, biology of trauma, your 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 symptoms will make sense to you. And really, trauma affects all the domains of being a human being: how we think, how we feel, um, our physical sensations, our behaviors, and it can affect our spirituality. You know, whether we um, feel that we've been deserted by God or whether um, for some people they feel they become more spiritual than they've ever become after a traumatic event. I mean, it really affects every way that we are. So it's really important for people to know that it's not, only, it's not just the emotional, psychological response. It's really a total human response. That's right. And, you know, we ask, these, we ask five questions when we go around the world. We ask, how has this event changed your thinking? How has it changed your body? How has it changed the way you uh, feel? How does it change your behaviors and, and how does it think, you know, change your faith or your spirituality? And it's, it's astounding to me, Rhonda, because everywhere we go, regardless of how educated people are not educated, people give the same responses. I, I, I regret now that I didn't take you know, pictures of, on the wall of all these different languages of what people say because they are the same. Hmm. 
It's, you know, from what you're saying as, as we delve deeper into this, into this, you could see then why, why the ACE study, the idea for those who just tuned in, that, that trauma or things that have happened early in life can affect everything into longevity, into what kind of health you might have uh, going on in your life. You could just see how this affects all the, all the whole organ system, our whole biology. I know, so it, it does. It just... I also want to say that even though that is true, um, I, I heard a beautiful quote from um, a project in Montana, and, it, and when they were talking about the ACEs, they said, adversity doesn't have to determine destiny. I love that, because I think it, you, because if, you ha- if you're one of many, the many of us, and I think I've had four or more, that have had those kinds of experiences in our life, it doesn't mean that it has to determine right. what happens to us in the future, because there are ways you know, not only through the community resiliency model skills and the trauma resiliency model, but there's prayer, there's yoga, there's meditation, um, there's exercise, there's other things that help us come back into our resilience zone. I also want to tell you that we also have an app now. It's called iChill. It's free. (laughs) iChill. And so iChill, so if you have a smartphone, you can download it free from iTunes or from the Droid store. And if you don't have a smartphone, we have a website where you can put it onto your computer, which is um, www.ichillapp.com. And we'll put you, I'll give that to you for your website, too. And we encourage people, the people write me and email me from all over the world now saying, thank you for the app, because it helps me. And you can learn about the skills, the basic skills, from um, um, going to the app. And that's I-C-H-I-L-L, I-Chill. It is. I yeah. up. No, I wanted to say that again. <laughs> Adversity doesn't have to determine destiny. Even, yes. Yeah, and, uh, yes. Beautiful. I just love that. So that comes from um, someone who put together, a, and I don't know the person's name, a slide presentation in Montana, because Montana has really bad ACE. There's, the other thing about the ACE score that they did in, um, in California, Kaiser, all those folks had insurance. So they were middle or upper middle class. Right. So other states are going into populations where um, people don't have the resources for health insurance. And guess what? The ACE scores are much worse. Oh, right. But, guess. but there is intervention that can happen. And, that's you know, right. I find that in, in my, pra- my practice as well that, you know, because, you know, th- this is what we're dealing with with the Meridian system. And, and uh, I know that there there's ideas of tapping and the, the um, different acupuncture points that are really doing similar similar things to to calm down the nervous system but and what I really like about the 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 way you're talking about the trauma resource Institute and the work you're doing is that you have this uh, a framework that's so accessible and you've created right. a model that is that is so accessible you don't really you know that you could, that we can teach each other this kind of thing in the field, and that's that's what's so wonderful, I chill. Can, can I tell you one, one little, I don't know how much time we have left. Yeah, we have a few minutes. I, oh, I just want to say, first of yeah. all, that we are speaking with Elaine Miller-Karras. She's the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute. We'll have, uh, uh, all of this is archived, and we'll have lots of, of uh, connections with all the... Uh, the uh, information on on the on our website at weru.org afterwards. Anyway, Elaine, go ahead. Well, we have a wonderful social worker that is a school counselor in Montana, 
and she works on the Blackfoot Reservation, and she's been bringing the skills to the community up there, and she's been teaching the kids, and she's a wonderful teacher of children. And I've learned a lot from her and how she's been bringing the skills to the, to the reservation. And so she sent me an email uh, a couple months ago, and she said, Elaine, I just have to tell you this story. She sure. said, this is what we have to do all over the country. And she said that um, one of the little girls she was, came, came to school that day, and she was very distressed. So the teacher called Dana, and Dana went and talked with her. They were sitting on the floor. And this was a little girl that had already been taught the skills of tracking and resourcing and grounding and she shared a story with Dana that her dad um, had gotten really drunk and got really angry and was hurting her mom, mm-hmm. and that um, they had to get in the car and get to Grandpa's house. And so what Dana did was she goes, can you remember when you got to Grandpa's house and what that was like? And she goes, oh, yeah, there was Grandpa. You know, and then she took a deep breath because she was talking about the end of the story, not the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Other than saying, well, what happened when your dad did that, which may have been the way that, you know, some of us used to work. Right. And so then she told about the, really the story of resilience, that when they got to the, to the house and then she felt better, and then she said, and I remembered our, my resources. Um, and so she started talking to her about her resources, and Dana said she could see her take the breath, and there was a question of whether or not the little girl could stay in school or not. But it turned out, she goes, well, you know, I think I feel better. I think I can go back to the classroom now. She goes, oh, and you know what? I taught my mom resourcing because she really needed it more than I did that day. Mm. And so there's a little girl that learned in the school, and she's like 10 years old. Um, she learned resourcing from Dana, and then she helped her mom learn resourcing when her mom was distressed after this incident. That, to me, is what, you know, oh, my gosh, paying it forward, that a child can teach the mom. And so that's how simple the skills are. And I think we have done that. And that really is our mission, is to make biologically-based skills accessible to everyone in the world to teach them as simply and as culturally um, sensitive as is possible so that they can be embraced and, and learned so that people can, each person, wherever you are, regardless of your age, can learn to stabilize your own nervous system. So let's do, uh, we have a couple of minutes left, a, a quick review uh, for those maybe who missed. We're in, at the, uh, we're in at the beginning of the show. We're talking about grounding as in, well, I'll let you do it. <laughs> maybe a little bit of a, a very quick one minute. <laughs> okay. We have, well, there's six skills, and the six skills are tracking, resourcing, grounding, um, gesturing, um, shift and stay, and help now. And the six skills are designed to help the nervous system come back into balance when we can get out of balance. We call balance the resilient zone. Okay. And we can get stuck in high when we're agitated, we're angry, mm-hmm. we sometimes say things we regret. And we can get stuck in low when we're depressed and disconnected. And so the importance of all of us having self-help skills that can bump us back into our resilient zone, whether we're stuck in high or low. I mean, that's the that's essence, it. I think, of, of the model. Yeah, and and so what's next? So you're having a conversation with the the people, and are they in? Where did you say in Haiti? Who are? Well, we actually just came back from Haiti. We were in Haiti last month, and we've been there now for four years. And they actually have created four nonprofits to carry the CRIM skills forward. That's incredible. Um, Community resources. Yes, and we have partnerships um, with different organizations that bring us in, like the Unitarian Universal Service Committee has been a great supporter of our work, and we now have some new associations with um, ADRA International, which is a large um, 
organization that goes in after disasters. Um, we just did a project with them in the Philippines and in Germany. So, you know, more and more people are learning about us, and as more and more people are learning about us, you know, there are more and more requests for our services. And one of the things that I'm really, um, I feel are really important is to develop our evidence base, which we are developing. I can now say that we're research-informed. Um, as you, you know, you noted, I'm an adjunct faculty at Loma Linda, and Loma Linda University is very interested in researching our model, and so there'll be a lot of investment of time and money in the next few years in doing exactly that. So and we, I have people Fabulous. around the world, too, that learn about us and start to research it, and that's really important for us to be um, uh, more You're widely used. Which I, yeah, when I also I think that we have, um, there's a real possibility that if we're brought into the world community and these simple skills are, are taught, they can be, um, you know, a, the, a mental health um, avenue for many people um, from marginalized cultures. There you that go. That may not adapt well to Western-based interventions. Oh, Elaine, that is so wonderful. We could go on. We need to do more shows about this. I want to Well, I would be happy you. to come back anytime, as thank you know. Thank you. Thank you. You're so great. And we'll get, um, I know we need to come back to Maine and we need to start some of these things here. We'll talk about that. Well, you tell me when and I'm there. Okay. I, you know I love Maine. And Thank we, you. you. know, we did some of our first Good. work there. Okay. We've been speaking today okay. with Elaine Miller-Karras, the executive director and co-founder of the Trauma Resource Institute. You can look up more about her work and the trauma resiliency model and the community resiliency model at their website, traumaresourceinstitute.com. I also invite you to go to our public affairs archives on WERU to find the two previous interviews we did on healthy options about trauma the Trauma Resource Institute. And today's program will be archived with all the information that Elaine gave us. So please tune in there. It's going to be on in a few days. Check it out. Share it with everyone you know. Thanks so much to Elaine Milakaras for being our guest today. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering, to Petra Hall for production assistance. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting WERU Community Radio. And I'm Rhonda Feynman, and thank you, wishing you all very good health.